Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. It's very hard to get accurate statistics on these things, uh, but a significant number of people are killed every year just because they're Christians. The conservative estimate puts it somewhere around about 55,000 people who die for no other reason than they profess to have a faith in Jesus. But there are some who would say that the number is probably closer to 200,000 people. Hard to comprehend, isn't it? 200,000 people who are killed just because they say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. Thousands more are arrested and persecuted just because they're Christians as well. Um, It's pretty clear when you look at all of the research that they do that Korea is still the toughest place for Christians on the planet. Uh, The estimate again, because they can't get any accurate information, is that between 50,000 and 200,000 people are in what they call re-education camps, uh, which are really prisons for people who've professed faith in Jesus. Uh, not only are they thrown in there, but other family members will be thrown in there, there as well. Uh, that was to encourage them to disown any faith in Jesus. Nigeria continues to be a difficult place for Christians. In 2018, 4,000 Christians were killed, again, simply because they professed a faith in Jesus. It wasn't in some kind of war or battle. Christians were rounded up and killed in Nigeria. 
China continues to be a difficult place for Christians as well. The official number of Christians, according to the government, is 50 million, but they believe that there are probably more than 100 million people involved in underground churches, illegal churches, and from time to time the government will crack down by arresting pastors and knocking down churches. Now, I mention all of that because this section of 1 Peter that we're looking at today is about suffering suffering because of your faith. It's a big part of Peter's letter, about 30% of the letter, about a third of his letter is devoted to this topic of suffering for the sake of being a Christian. It can be easy for us to look at passages like this suffering and think, well, that happened to them back then and just let it wash over us because we don't really experience that kind of suffering here in this country. But there are plenty of people who do experience that kind of suffering. And Peter basically wants to look at two issues in this passage. First of all, he wants to look at why it is that Christians may suffer. And the second thing that he wants to look at is how should we handle suffering? How should we view it? How should we respond to it? So first of all, why suffering should be expected if you have faith in Jesus? At the time that Peter wrote this letter, uh, persecution of Christians was already well underway in the Roman Empire. Uh, 64 AD, which is probably around about the time that Peter wrote this letter, Nero uh, was the emperor of Rome. Uh, There had been a fire in, in Rome, widely believed to have been lit by Nero himself or at his uh, command. Uh, the man was slightly on the loopy end, if you read your history. He uh, wasn't, wasn't a clear-thinking leader of the Roman people. But he managed to blame the fire on the Christians and so began the first really official persecution of Christians because of their faith. This is what the Roman historian Tacitus said about that persecution of Christians. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who confessed, that is, not confessed to starting the fire, but confessed to faith in Jesus. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime, as of, the crime of arson as of hatred of the human race. Mockery was of every sort was added to their death, covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames. They served to illuminate the night when daylight failed. Hundreds of Christians were killed by Nero, blamed for a fire that it seems he started. And Peter says, don't be surprised if that happens, not happens to others, but don't be surprised if that happens to you. See, very often Christians face persecution simply because they just don't fit in. They kind of stand out from the culture around them. And that seems to be what Tacitus means when he says that they were being accused of hatred of the human race. They didn't follow the Roman gods anymore. They didn't adopt the Roman lifestyle, which would have been pretty out there compared to lifestyles in our country today. So they didn't fit in, so they're considered to be haters of humans because they don't live like all of the other humans in Rome. All the way through this letter, Peter has stressed the seriousness of following Jesus and the fact that you may feel like a stranger 
You may feel like an alien. You may look the same as other people, but you're going to feel out of place. That's what he says in chapter 4, verse 4. They, that is the people around them, are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. People will think you're strange that you don't do the same things as them, that you don't strive after the same things as them, that you don't share the same values as them. As Christians, our priorities ought to be noticeably different. Do we no longer live to simply satisfy our own desires? We live for the will of God. We want what God wants. And we want to live in a way that pleases him. And if you don't go with the flow, then you may find it difficult. You may be made to feel like an alien or a stranger. But Peter also says there's another important reason why we should expect to face hardship. And you'll find it there in chapter 4 and verse number 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insult, insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, Jesus said much the same thing to his disciples. He told them this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Jesus suffered. Why should we think it will be any different for us? Why should we think that the course of our life will be completely different to the life of Jesus? Peter says he suffered, we should expect to suffer as well. Okay then, so if we should expect to suffer as Christians, then how should we handle it? How we should we respond to it? Should we possibly try to avoid it wherever we can? Or should we go looking for it? Well, that's what Peter wants to answer in this next section. He says that there are two ways, two important things that we need to understand about suffering. First of all is the one in chapter 4, find verse number 8. In the middle of this section about suffering, look at what he says. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve the others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should speak as one speaking the very words of God. So right in the middle of this section, we're reminded that we need to love each other, care for each other, support each other. Being a Christian may not always be easy. So it's important to know that there are other people out there who are concerned for you, who who have an interest in your well-being. It's important to know that there are other people who are looking out for you. It's important to know that there are others who will show you love and acceptance even when maybe nobody else will. Peter says that we are to love each other deeply, to have a genuine concern for each other, 
to do those things that are going to build each other up and encourage each other, to look out for each other, to love each other. It's great what he says there about love in verse 8, isn't it? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. If we're loving each other, then it's a whole lot easier for our shortcomings and our faults to be covered by that love. If you're showing genuine love for other people, then the fact that you're a critical, complaining, selfish person, well, will be, will be less noticeable. If we're showing genuine love to others, then it will cover a multitude of sins. And Peter doesn't leave us guessing about how it is that we're supposed to love because in verse 9 he says, offer hospitality to one another. Each one should use whatever gifts they have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak as one speaking the very words of God. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Remember that when you're on morning tea duty over here and they bring over eight more coffee cups and you've already turned the dishwasher off, okay? Use the gifts and abilities that you have to serve others. So what gifts and abilities do you have? More importantly, how are you using them to serve others within the life of this church? There are a whole bunch of servant-hearted people in this church who do all of those things behind the scenes not asking to be thanked, but doing them simply because they know that they have those gifts and abilities and that they can serve. But I think the biggest challenge that Peter gives us is to speak as though you're speaking the very words of God. That's a challenge and a half, isn't it? That when you open your mouth, you should speak as though you're speaking the very words of God. Have a think about that before you let some of those words come out of your mouth. But here's the most surprising thing that Peter says in this whole section. It's tempting, if we're being given a hard time because of our faith in Jesus, to just think, well, let's just keep our head down, let's keep a low profile, keep it quiet, and see if that lets it just blow over. But Peter offers a very different advice. Chapter 3, verse number 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. We shouldn't fear what might happen to us as Christians. And then he takes it one step further. Verse 15. But in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not what I'm expecting in a passage that's talking about suffering and persecution. In the middle of talking about being persecuted as a Christian, Peter says, and don't forget to be ready to tell other people about what it is that you believe. So what's the take-home message? Not for Christians in 64 AD in Rome, but 2020, sitting here in Balmain. 
Well, I want to say that there's three things that we can learn from this that we ought to be putting into practice in our lives and in our church. The first is this. We need to be ready to care for each other. Every person in this church should feel that there are others here who have a genuine concern for them, who care for them, who look out for them. Have a quick look around, do this, just turn around, have a look at who's sitting here today. Have a look at those charming faces. These are the people who you are supposed to love and care for. Now, cross off anyone who you're already good friends with because you're doing that without even being asked. But it's the rest of them that you need to be concerned about as well. How can you show love? How can you better care for the people who are part of this church? How are you using the gifts that you have to strengthen and encourage the other people who meet together here on a Sunday morning? Now, again, it's really easy to do that with your friends, with that close-knit group that you've had for oh so many years, but we need to think about everybody else and demonstrate a concern for them. Second thing is this. You need to be ready to own what you believe. Christians in Australia don't really suffer terribly much because of their faith. It's partly because of the religious freedom that we have in this country, but it's partly because we try and keep our faith, how shall we say, in the background. We don't bring it up very often. I think all too often we do the opposite of the advice that Peter gives to his friends here. Have a look at what it says in verse 4. He says, They think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. The Christians weren't doing what everybody in the rest of Rome was doing and you can find lots of books on Roman history to find out what it was that they were doing in Rome at that time. But the Christians were wisely staying clear of all of that. And abuse is being heaped on them because they don't dive in like everybody else. Peter said to his readers, persecution is going to come your way because you do have different attitudes, different values to your neighbours. But sadly, I think we often don't have different attitudes and values to our neighbours today. We often have exactly the same values, exactly the same attitudes, when as Christians we should probably be trying to look a little bit different not simply doing what everybody else does. Different attitudes about money, different attitudes about sex, different attitudes about forgiveness, different attitudes about how we speak about other people. We often avoid persecution by just going with the flow, by adopting the same values and attitudes as our neighbours. Well, Peter says, be ready to stand out. Be ready to be different, to not go with the flow. You need to be ready to face the embarrassment of being thought of as being weird because you don't dive in and do and say the same things as everyone else. When you find yourself faced with that choice during the week, remember what Peter says. When there's that clear line in the sand, be ready to act like an alien to speak like an alien, to think like an alien. Be ready to live in a way that is honouring to God. Be willing to live in a way that shows that you are a follower of Jesus. 
But the third thing that Peter says is be ready to tell people about the hope that you have. Again, it's weird, isn't it? In the middle of a passage about Christian suffering, Peter says, keep looking for those opportunities to talk about Jesus. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do you think you're ready to do that? I mean, when you get to work on Monday morning and they say, so what would you get up to on the weekend? Would you be ready to say, well, I actually went to church on Sunday morning. It was quite amazing. They were talking about suffering for Christians and about sharing your faith. There will be plenty of opportunities to talk to people about the hope that you have. There are loads of opportunities for you to be able to start that conversation. You never know when those opportunities are going to come up. One thing that I can guarantee you is that no one is going to say to you at work, give me the reason for the hope that you have. That's that's not going to be the question. But it'll happen in surprising ways. When we lived up on the north coast, I got into a touch football team uh, with a guy who managed the bottle shop in town. So used to play together in touch football and he kept saying, we should go for a surf sometime because he knew I surfed and he surfed as well. So finally, one Monday morning, I went and picked him up. We stuck the boards on the roof and just as we drove out of town, he said, so how did you become a Christian? Now, I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that conversation to come up. But there it was. There's the question. Tell me about the hope that you have. And can come up in a dozen different ways. Someone might say, so how long have you been going to church? Or what do you get out of church when you go there? Or what do you plan to do with the rest of your life? What do you do at Bible study? Do you ever pray to God? What makes you think there is a God? What would you do if you had a million dollars? What helped you cope when your dad died? See, all of those are opportunities for you to be able to talk about the hope that you have. Opportunities to point people toward Jesus. They're all questions where people are asking you about what you believe. And if you listen carefully, you'll find dozens of opportunities to be able to share with people the hope that you have. So you need to be ready to give people the reason for the hope that you have. And don't forget what Peter says right at the end here. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander.